Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. You know, I really wrestle with the idea of church sometimes. Anybody else wrestle with the idea of church sometimes? I, I hate sometimes that we treat this place like a movie theater. And all the more we treat it like a movie theater during COVID-19 because you got to like register for service and you got to like come up with your ticket and it's like pull up your Fandango app and put it at the scanner. And, and sometimes I think we get, we get too used to church being this place that we attend and that we watch. And what Ms. Catherine just talked about was pretty profound. It takes a village. It takes a people of God, brothers and sisters, to be the church. Not a person, a people. This is what I want you to do. I want you to find a partner, somebody who's sitting in your section in your little grouping of chairs. And if there's three of you, try to find somebody who you can partner with, with a fourth person. Ready, go. You got 10 seconds. Get a partner. Get a partner. 10, 9, 8. If you're sitting by yourself, it's not okay. Izzy Egan, I see you sitting by yourself. There we go. If you're sitting by yourself, it's not okay. If you're by yourself still, I want you to raise your hand. By yourself still, I want you to raise your hand. Has anybody got their hand raised? No? I don't got my glasses on. I can't see beyond the first row. So I hope you... All right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look your partner in the eyes. Oh, this could get so weird. <laughs> I want you to look your partner in the eyes. And in a really non-weird way, I want you to say, you look good tonight. <laughs> yeah, I like that laughter. That's a good thing. Say, you look really good tonight. Uh, here we go. See, we're starting to wake up. I want you to look at him, and even if it's not true, I want you to say, you smell good tonight, too. <laughs> I love it. All right. Now here's what I want you to say. If you're on this side of the room with your partner, so if you're on my left of your partner, okay, this is where it's going to get really awkward. I want you to look them in the eyes. And I want you to say, I see you. I see you, yeah. Ooh. Give it a moment just to sink in. Give it a moment to sink in. All right, if you're sitting on the right side, if you're to my right, I want you to look at your partner and I want you to say, I see you too. I see you too. All right, now I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. If you're ever coming to church and you're not doing that at least once, you're not coming to church. Look at me. If you're coming to church and you're not at least doing that once with another person, looking somebody else in their eyes, in their optic stems and saying, I see you. We're not being the church. You're attending this place like it's a movie. And at the end of the day, that's not going to sustain your faith. That's not going to bring you life. That's not going to bring you hope. Brothers and sisters, it takes a people. You can't come here on Wednesday nights, registered, not registered, whether you forgot, whether you were planning on this. 
and just hope that you're going to get great entertainment tonight. You can't come here hoping, you know, that it's going to be a feel-good service for you. You have to come being the body of Christ. Socially distanced or not, you can look someone in their eyes. You can identify a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister and say, I see you. You know what you just did? What we just did is we made sure that no human being came here to the house of the Lord tonight and left without being seen by God's people. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we're the church. It's to be people together. We walk out here and we play four square and we play nine square. And that's awesome. That's being the church too. But if you are not here to engage with brothers and sisters, this isn't going to do you a whole lot of good. And if you came here and you're feeling isolated, hear me, you're in the right place. This is a place of really messy people. Gone to coffee with a lot of these students. They're some messy people. I'm a messy youth pastor. That's okay. We're here to be seen. So can, can we do something together? Whether we get shut down in two more weeks or we keep going on Wednesday nights, I want you to make me a promise that when you come here, when you gather in your small group, you're going to look people in the eyes and make sure that they know that you see them. You're going to be the hands and feet and presence of Jesus to them. Why? Because that's exactly what you need. That's what we all need right now. Are you with me? All right. John 14. Let's talk about Jesus. Come on. John 14. We're in the series called Jesus is I Am. Everyone say I am. All right. We're waking up tonight. Say it one more time. Say I am. I am. The God who was and is and is to come. Who is this man? Who is this man? John 14. Let's pray real quick. Father, we welcome your presence here. Lord, your word says that when two or more are gathered together, you are in our midst. And so at the very least, we have met that requirement tonight. So Lord, we need you. We need you. We need to walk out of here tonight looking a little bit more like Jesus. With our faith a little deeper in you. With our minds a little bit more encouraged with our lives a bit less isolated. So would you come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Have your way with us. We thank you, we praise you, and if you're with me, say amen. Amen. John 14, we're gonna start in verse one. Jesus is talking and he says this, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way. Everyone say the way. If you got your Bible, I want you to underline that right there, the way. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, Thomas, the great skeptic, the great, the great doubter of the apostles, he says to Jesus, Lord... We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Everyone say the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you. If you ever see in the Bible Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you. It's probably a true statement. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Everyone say, I will do it. We're on the heels of Jesus just washed the disciples' feet. He gives them a new command to love one another And then he says something that's a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit disturbing for them. He lets them know that he's going to be leaving them and that where he is going, they cannot come. And we got Peter, who's really the big mouth of the apostles, look at Jesus and say, Lord, what are you talking about? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll even lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks at him right before he says this. And he goes, Peter, hear me. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to have denied me three times. Three times. And right after he makes that statement, we see Jesus going into this discourse. This discourse. And he kind of breaks this passage down into three parts. I'm going to go on that in just a second. And then he follows this passage with telling the disciples that he's going to send to them a comforter. He's going to send them another, known as the Holy Spirit, to be his presence with them when he leaves. But he breaks this passage down into three parts. And in reality, we're getting, we're getting three aspects or three realities of the Father given in this passage. The first aspect that we are given is the reality of the Father's house. Everyone say the Father's house. Father's house. Verse 2, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again And I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and that you would know the way. Everyone say the way. The way to where I am going. So we know up to this point that Jesus knows where he has come from, and he knows where he is going, and he has finally told the disciples the destination. He's going to his father's house. Most scholars, most theologians have identified this place as heaven. As heaven. Now here's the thing. Jesus has his apostles in a place where they're really uncomfortable, they're really disturbed, they're really down, they're really discouraged. And Jesus understands that when you are in a place like this, what people need when they're discouraged, when they're down on themselves, when they're alone, when their thoughts are not at peace, we need peace and affirmation, right? That's like a human thing. 
When I was like five, six, seven, not seven, that might be a little too old, I was deathly afraid of car washes. Deathly afraid of car washes. Like, like any, any time, and, and they weren't like the car washes where you like, you go in now and you pop your car in neutral and it like kind of pulls you through. It was like the cheap gas station ones where you go and you just park. And like the thing kind of just over, it's really loud. And I'll never forget, anytime my dad would start pulling into a car wash, heart start pounding. Start pounding, yeah, like little 30 pound Tim. 30 pound Tim, I had a buzz cut. My dad didn't believe in paying money for haircuts. So it was just buzz cut, 30 pound Tim. All my shirts were Parks and Rec soccer t-shirts. We'd pull in and I'd start freaking out. I'd start crying in the back seat. I mean, just like shaking, I couldn't settle. And my dad, he'd be like, don't worry about it, son. Just don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And he'd pull into the car wash. He'd pop, pop the car in park. He'd unbuckle his seatbelt. And this five foot five Vietnamese man would get out of the front seat, squeeze back into the back seat. He'd put me in his lap and he'd put my head under his shirt. And he'd hold me really close to his chest. And he'd do it to where he plugged my ears to where I couldn't hear the car wash. I know all the girls were like, oh. It's like, I want my husband to be that kind of father. Me too. And it's, it's a vivid memory I will have to this day because I remember sitting there and in the middle of terror, my father was with me. And he knew, he knew what I was going through and he, he would know how to prepare for when we were going to the car wash. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing right now. You see, we got Jewish disciples here so they understand the history of scripture. They know that we have a reality of a sinful world. They know that there is a reality of evil in the world. And it wasn't hard to see because all you have to do is look to your left or to your right. You'd see the Roman Empire doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. And you'd see nothing but oppression, racial separation, brokenness. And in a time where it's, it's very unsure, they found this, this somewhat bit of hope in this rabbi, this teacher named Jesus. And yet this teacher is continually telling them, going to leave him. He's going to leave him. And knowing that he is provoking, he's provoking some form of, of, of unsettled reality in them, he makes clear to them what he is doing. He's not leaving for no reason. He's leaving with a purpose. He's leaving to go prepare a place for his followers. To prepare a place and this is something I think it's important for us to see because we really get uncomfortable talking about heaven and hell in church. But for the people of God, we have to realize that this is not our bottom line. And in fact, if the New Testament teaches us anything, it's that we are pilgrims and temporary residents of this earth. This is not our home. We have a God who fearfully and wonderfully made us who loved us enough to come down here, take care of what was broken among us. And currently right now, Jesus, I am, the son is preparing a place in heaven for his followers. He's preparing a place for us. And Jesus wants to, to give a very clear reality. The first aspect of the father is the father's house. 
He's going to prepare a place for us. But then he says something very profound, and this is where we're going to center on tonight. He gives us the reality of the Father's image. The reality of the Father's image. Verse 5, you got Thomas again who said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Everyone say the way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to know who God is, you need to look at me. If you go later down in verse 8, you have Philip who's asking Jesus. He's going, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. He's wanting some proof. Another translation says, Lord, teacher, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. In other words, if you give us a little bit of proof, we can actually take you at your word. That will be enough. And Jesus' response is really simple. He goes, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So often as a pastor, I sit with students and I sit with adults. And they say, I just don't get it. This God you're talking about is a little bit too distant for me. He's kind of like this existential voice out there in the vast void of space. And I have no idea what he's like. I have no idea that he's loving. I have no idea that he's caring. I have no idea that he actually cares for my life, that he wants to be a part of my life. How can you sit there and tell me that? I haven't heard it. Where do you see this God? Show me this God. And what the scripture is telling us right here, what the apostle John is wanting to say, is he's going, brothers and sisters, if you want to know what God is like, look at the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know how he talks? Look at how he talks. You want to know how he treats those he disagrees with? Look at the way that he had dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. And he gives three realities to his identity in verse 6. He looks at Thomas. He's looking at the disciples and he says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And by default, what he is saying is that everything else is not the way. Everything else is not the truth. Everything else is not the life. I want to reiterate these words in just a couple different ways. I want to talk about the way first. Everyone say the way. In other words, he is saying that Jesus is the reconciliation. Everyone say the reconciliation. We have a broken reality for humanity from their creator. And it's called sin and death. Sin and death. We have this idea that we like to be the God of our own lives. We like to do what we want to do. And in doing so, we have separated ourselves from our own creator. And being unable to bridge that gap back, God sent his one and only son to do it for us. But what Jesus is getting at right here is that this gospel that we talk about, the Christian message, is an exclusive gospel. And this is what I mean by this. Max Anderson, he's a theologian and scholar. He writes a lot of New Testament commentaries. He said this, 
For we live in an age of religious pluralism, when Christianity's exclusive claims are considered inappropriately narrow, even intolerant. And, and when pluralism itself has ironically become the dogma by which all truth claims are judged. This is what he's saying. You ever heard somebody say, Christianity is just too narrow-minded. It's too narrow-minded. Pastor, I get what you're saying where you guys are talking about Jesus came and he kind of did all this stuff. But really isn't the, the, the real human goal for us to kind of just like live and let live? Isn't really like the ultimate objective for human flourishing is for, for me to say, you know what, I'll live my truth, you live your truth, and you love people the way that you think you should love people, and I'll love people the way that I think I should love people, and we go about the world like that. Isn't that the way? No. You know why? Hear me. Because your definition of love and your definition of truth and my definition of love and my definition of truth is pathetic. It's weak. And it ultimately falls short of what it actually means to love people. And it ultimately falls short of what it looks like to live life at its absolute fullest. The author of Hebrews knew this. And this is why he said in Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20, he said, Jesus, we have, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. In other words, the only way that the dilemma of sin and death can be resolved the only way that you or me can ever have relationship with the God of the universe again is Jesus. Jesus. Not your ability to live a good life. Not your ability to try to be as patient as possible. Not your ability to provoke social reform. Jesus is the only way you have a relationship with God. Are you with me tonight? If we have a gospel that makes a little deal of the man Jesus Christ, then hear me, it is not the gospel at all. It is not the gospel at all. You cannot make him big enough to his people. The only way that we can know we're loved the only way that we can have true satisfaction is Jesus, the way, the reconciliation. But he also says he's the truth. Everyone say the truth. Which is another way to say that Jesus is the illumination. Is the illumination. And the quest for what we want to know is right or wrong. What Christians have as their premise is Jesus. What does truth look like? What does it look like? We're sitting here in a world right now where it seems that truth seems to be pretty relative. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And it's hard to find that balance, right? Because oftentimes we can't relate with how other people have had to live life. 
We're sitting right now in a place where our country politically and racially is pretty divided. And it's kind of getting to the point where you're kind of getting sick of hearing about it. But we have to, at the end of the day, realize as the people of God that our perception of truth isn't always the same perception of truth that other people have. And so what we begin to try to do is we try to measure it against each other. How does my truth measure up to your truth? And at the end of the day, we have no foundation to say what is absolute, what is objective. And what Jesus is wanting to say here is when you get to that place, when you're wanting to know what is right, what is wrong, what's going to last at the end of days, his answer is Jesus. Jesus. Not what you think about the world, not your thoughts towards the world, not your thoughts towards yourself. Jesus' thoughts towards the world. Jesus' thoughts towards you. That's what truth is. James, the half-brother of Jesus, gives us a, a hint into this in James 1, 16 through 17. He says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from above. In other words, in a world where opinions change every day, what we perceive as truth changes every day. James is saying that the God who gave himself in the person of Jesus Christ does not. Does not. And when you can accept that as a good and perfect gift, you've accepted good news. You've accepted good news. In other words, if you have not accepted that the gift of the gospel is Jesus himself, then you have not received the gospel at all. At all. The gospel makes much of this man who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. Third point. The life, another word to, way to say it is Jesus, is the regeneration. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Brothers and sisters, death, a global pandemic, our reality right here, right now, is not the end. I need you to look at me. We should not be surprised. Look at me. We should not be surprised with where our world is at right now. You hear me? A global pandemic, racial segregation, riots in a street. Yes, they are products of all forms of injustice. Yes, it seems unjust, and why would God allow a global pandemic to take place? But you know what Jesus told his disciples? He looked them in the eyes, and he did not say, your world after I leave is going to be sunshine and rainbows and whisk whiskers on kittens. He didn't say that. He didn't say, when I leave, you are going to live healthy and wealthy lives. That's not the way of the Christian life. And if anything that you see in scripture of the apostles or the followers of Jesus' lives, in fact, the exact opposite is true. He looked at his followers in John 16 and he said, look at me. 
in this world, you will have what? You have trouble. Uh, Jesus, could you give us a Webster's Dictionary uh, defining of trouble? Hey, global pandemics, racial injustice, evil still exists. People have their own agendas. People live in their own sinful lives. You're going to have trouble. In fact, people are going to hate you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you for what you believe. You realize you carry a voice right now that says, we know what absolute truth is and his name is Jesus. How many feathers that's going to ruffle right now? You know how many dislikes you get on Facebook for saying that right now? No, you don't understand. That's true for you, but it's not true for us. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, that to follow Jesus, to follow the way, the truth, and the life means by default we will have trouble. But you know what the response of the people of God is? Ooh, hear me, hear me tonight. You know what the response of the people of God is? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not hopping on social media and posting every opinion that you have about what's going on in the world. You want social reform, you want to see our country change, hear me. Do it better than your parents. Do it better than my generation. Do not hop on your computer, do not hop on your phone. Get on your knees and cry out for the way, the truth, and the life to come forth and for our nation to see it. You want to see people start to care for other people who don't have the same skin color as them? Cry out for the way, the truth, and the life to come break through. This is what we need. I was sitting, I was talking to one of our own students. He's an African-American. He's black. And I looked at him and I said, hey, man, I want to ask you a question. It's right after everything happened with George Floyd. And he said, I said, if you could... If you could say one thing, one thing in the world could hear it, what would it be? It's really hard to hear what people have to say because everybody's talking right now and nobody's listening. I said, if you could say one thing, what would it be? And he looked at me and he said, Pastor Tim, I would like to say to everyone that not everyone needs to hear your opinion. Not everyone needs to hear your opinion, but you know what everyone needs? is for you to get on your knees and start crying out for the way, the truth, and the life to break forth in our nation, in our world, in our city, in your school, in your family. You want to see change, brothers and sisters. You want to see your generation do it better. Quit worrying about what you think and become so much more concerned with what God thinks promise you, you're going to see the way, the truth, and the life start to come forth. Jesus is our regeneration. He is our new life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To follow Jesus is two things simultaneously. It's a funeral and it's new birth at the same time. To follow Jesus means that you are submitting and laying down and putting to death the fact that you believe you are God. That you believe you have it figured out to live your life in the best possible way. 
And what's coming to life is the fact that Jesus reigns on the throne of your life. Jesus reigns on the throne of your life. The third aspect of this passage, I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the worship team back up right now, is the reality of the Father's glory. The reality of the Father's glory. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. For you to receive Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life in your life is to embrace a life of greater works, greater joy, greater truth, greater life. All of the longings that you feel in your heart, all of the deep aches that you're feeling, especially during this time, the world's message to you is you've got to find a way to satisfy and fill those voids. And you're going to start searching. You're bored. You're isolated. You're alone. So you start utilizing video games and other sorts of things to fill that void. You're wrestling with all forms of who knows what kind of addictions during the last three to four months. And the only way that you know how to take care of it in your soul is to find a way to medicate it. And you know what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying, look at me, Jackson, look at me. Sophia, look at me. Olivia, look at me. Haley, look at me. satisfied quit looking any other direction and look at the way the truth and the life you want to find relationship with God again you're not going to find it over here you're not going to find it on social media all my high schoolers in here really listen to me you're not going to find it on social media. It's as unreliable as a source as you can get. It's the Wikipedia of this generation. Don't do it. Get off your phone. You want to find it? You want to find what's going to fill and what's going to satisfy the deep longing in your soul. God who realized that you don't have the capability in your own suffering, in your own trouble, in your own sin to draw near to him. That he got off his heavenly throne and became Emmanuel for you. God with you. The God who pursues you. The God who comes after you. The God who cares for you. The God who wants to satisfy you. The God who wants to make you whole. That God here for you tonight. He's here for us tonight.
that by God's grace, if you wake up tomorrow, he's going to be there for you tomorrow. And by God's grace, if you wake up the next day and the next day, or if you get COVID-19, or if you have something terrible happen, the gift of him is not that he's going to promise things are going to be sunshine and rainbows. But you know why we carry good news? It's because despite COVID-19, my God reigns. My God reigns, and he's still on the throne of my life. And despite the fact that it's hard to watch our world in flames right now, God is still on the throne. And you know what? He loved me enough to get me ready for it. He loved me enough to tell me it's going to be hard, but I'm going to be enough. Brothers and sisters, he's enough for us. I'm asking you as your youth pastor tonight, if I don't even know you, I'm asking you tonight. You want to live the way that God has called us to live. You want to be a hope to our city, to our world, to your friends, to your family right now. You want to be a strength to them even though you feel weak. The gospel says that's okay. The world doesn't need you. They need Christ in you. And he's enough. Will you stand with me? best way for us to respond is for us to confess, for us to confess that we need Him. I'm going to make this a habit of us every week to say this prayer. Can we put the prayer of confession up, Becky? I'm going to make this a habit for us to say every week. Because I think too often we get in this mindset where you know, hey, we said this once and I was good. And when you really begin to understand the gospel, you begin to see that I gotta say this prayer every day, sometimes 70 times a day. Why? Because it's so easy to drift from seeing Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. But we gotta remember that no one, no one comes to the Father except through Him. No one comes to the Father. So before we read this, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to have an honest moment with yourself. Because we're all here tonight. You walk in here feeling really strong, really strong in your faith, or you walk in here feeling like you don't know Jesus at all. We're here. And no matter where we stand, we need to confess that we have sinned against the most high God by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And that our desire, because of the Spirit's work in our life, is to love Jesus with our whole heart. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to just identify where, you know what, instead of looking to Jesus for the way, you look to something else. Instead of looking to Jesus, for the truth, you've looked to something else. Instead of looking to Jesus for the life, you've looked to something else. You should identify it. Get honest with yourself. Get honest with yourself. And with that being said, let's say this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and what we have done and by
by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Holy Spirit, we need you tonight. We need you. I'm going to let the team just lead us here for a couple moments and then come up and bless you. But I want to encourage you and I want to invite you to be real before the Lord tonight. It's not going to affect anybody but you right now first step towards entering into reconciliation, seeing the truth, entering into new life. It's by being honest with who we are before the Lord. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.